Welcome to the Division G podcast series. Launched in 2014 by the AERA Graduate Student Executive Committee, these podcasts provide an added medium to highlight scholarship, discuss contemporary issues, and start a conversation among DivG members. Throughout the year, we will release podcasts leading up to the annual conference. For more information on our participants and additional podcasts, please visit aeradivg.wordpress.com. You can also keep up to date with Division G graduate students by joining our Facebook group, AERA Division G Students, Social Context of Education. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Our podcast is being recorded live from Detroit at the AERA Division G planning meeting. With me today, I have Dr. Elizabeth Moji from the University of Michigan, Dr. Kevin Roxas from the University of Western Washington, Dr. S.J. Miller from CU Boulder, for a conversation on current events in the association and our Division G community. In our first introductory question, I would just like for each of you to introduce yourselves, your area of scholarship, and a bit about your role within the division. Dr. Moji, can you please start? I'd be happy to. Hi, everyone. I'm Elizabeth Burr Moji. I'm Associate Dean for Research and Community Engagement and Professor of Literacy, Language, and Culture at the University of Michigan in the School of Education. My research focuses on the literacy practices of youth. I study in particular youth culture and the navigations that young people need to be able to make as they navigate multiple contexts of everyday life, including school contexts and highly specialized contexts such as the disciplines of schooling. And I serve as the vice president um, representing Division G. So I am S.J. Miller, and I am an Associate Professor of Literacy Studies at CU Boulder. I am the newly appointed Affirmative Action Officer within Division G, and my role as, a, as an educator is I work with pre-service teachers who are becoming middle and high school English teachers, and my work really centers around what I call socio-spatial justice and instantiating that as an embedded and embodied disposition. So in other words, looking at how teachers can become agents of, of disruption about mm-hmm. inequities in schools and how they can work to change policy, not only within the school, but within the communities that they work. I also do research on anti-bullying, mm-hmm. um, as well as work on queering classroom spaces. So my name is Kevin Roxas, and I work in the Woodring College of Education at Western Washington University, and I'm in the secondary education department there, working with middle school and high school teacher candidates and practicing teachers. I am the the co-chair for Division G for the program planning for the upcoming annual meeting, and my areas of research are the context of reception for immigrant and refugee children. Uh, and their families. Uh, what happens when, for example, refugee children arrive in the United States and what does it look like when they first enter public schools? How are teachers and communities responding to them and, and how can we uh, think differently and better about that reception? Great. Thank you, Kevin. And we'll stay with you. Can you share a bit about how you first became involved with Division G and uh, why you decided to give back as a, as a co-chair? Sure. I started to get involved with Division G in graduate school and my doctoral studies and started to attend sessions and I think I gravitated toward sessions without even knowing the structure of division, that there's different divisions. 
by just gravitating toward these sessions because of the titles, and they happen to be Division G sessions. And then I started getting involved by uh, going to like specific graduate student seminars put on by Division G, and, and then as I uh, moved from doctoral studies to my years, years as a faculty member, I decided to get involved on the other side of that equation by serving first as a, a manuscript reviewer and then becoming a section co-chair and then uh, just this year is my first year being the program planning chair and, and I just think it's really valuable work this idea that the, this section is doing or this division is doing excuse me and uh, thinking about being in community with other people also doing that research and pushing each other forward. So. I am a recent, I would say, immigrant to Division G. Um, when I was a doc student, I went to the University of New Mexico, and I was in language literacy and sociocultural studies, which was all about context. But I was actually encouraged to go to my first AERA meeting. I think it was in 2003 or four in Montreal, and didn't really understand what I was getting into. And during that time, I just figured, oh, I'll go to Division K. It makes sense for me. And I pretty much just stayed there. Um, and within the last two years, I've had lots of my peers and colleagues saying, get over to Division G. That's really, that's where the heart of the of AERA is. So I started going to more and more sessions. And then I think I just ended up leaving K because I felt more welcomed in G with my own work. And so as an affirmative action officer, it, because I do so much work in social justice, it's really important to me to help broaden perspectives about social injustices and working within the division, especially in different contexts, I think I can support members and membership um, to think more broadly about inequities. Thanks, SJ. Well, how did I get involved with uh, Division G? It's hard for me to remember back that far, actually. Um, I, I am a member, actually, of Division G, Division K, and Division C. I've always traversed um, multiple contexts, I guess, and um, I, I find value in each. I have served as a section chair for Division C, a reviewer for Division G, and then... You know, finally, I agreed to run for election because um, I love Division G. I think it's an important, um, one of the, the most important um, areas for the association. And Louise Moll asked me to do it. And I couldn't say no to Louise. <laughs> um, and then I got elected. I'll also say that I serve the organization as well by serving as a member of the Research Advisory Committee. So I had that uh, experience sitting on the committee that looked at lots of different kinds of proposals for the, the research conferences, and um, it gave me a kind of bird's eye view of the entire organization, and that allows me to really, I think, bring um, an informed perspective to Division G. And I, and I want to just circle back again because I just think the discussion is really interesting because it's an organic process mm -hmm. of becoming involved within Division G or AERA more generally 
that you just find a way, you find your own way to be involved in what resonates with you, and then you slowly get involved with different things. Because it's such a large organization, you can find your home. So whether it be Division G, hopefully it is, but other places as well. And then you might move because you're in it for the long career and your own research areas of interest change or your networks or whatever it might be. So I think that's an important thing to kind of put out there for graduate students, that it just changes right. and it's organic. I like that point, and I like also the, the point that um, a number of the SIGs can be nicely connected as well yeah. to the division. So there's just a really rich structure yeah. in the organization as a whole that allows people to um, sort of not get into silos. Yeah. So we can all be strong, committed Division G members, but also have lots of other important connections across the organization. Being the first episode for the podcast series this year, we thought it would be good opportunity for our graduate students and those listening to understand a little bit more about the state of Division G and where we're at. So, Dr. Moji, can you provide a little more context about where the division stands today? Absolutely. Um, so I'll start by saying it is definitely the coolest. <laughs> um, we have a, a really robust membership, actually. We're one of the largest. We're not the largest but we are one of the largest, so that really shows, I think, both the, the commitments that a number of our colleagues in the organization hold, but also um, the power and, um, and passion um, with which the division represents itself, because it, it's clearly drawing membership. Uh, we have a really amazing graduate student uh, group, um, both in terms of members and mm -hmm. then in terms of graduate student leadership. And so there are many opportunities for uh, Division G graduate students to really begin their apprenticeship into leadership roles in the future in um, Division G and in the organization writ large. Some of the things that we've achieved over time, and this is really you know, I have to attribute uh, to people like Alfredo Artiles and Luis Moll, Richard Ruiz, Kevin Carroll, and um, a number of other leaders in Division G. Elizabeth Dutro, I don't want to forget to give her a shout out. There are things like we've really expanded our membership um, and helped to diversify not only the division, but the organization as a whole. Hmm. We've not only diversified in terms of who our members are, but the kinds of work we do. Um, really made a space for a whole range of research methodologies, for different epistemologies, for um, different ways of understanding contexts that provide or constrain opportunities to learn. And I think that our division, because of its strong presence, really then um, helps other divisions also bring attention to social justice, to diversity, to issues of equity uh, in their work as well. So divisions that may not name social contexts um, as we do still are bringing attention to that work and I, I would say it's because of our presence and our leadership. I think that we have really done a wonderful job of supporting community engagements, and we've done that in at least two ways. One is that we regularly make a donation to community organizations in the cities we're visiting. Um, we, we've uh, talked, actually this morning we were talking about um, the attention that Richard Ruiz brought to us, um, that we go to places we stay in beautiful hotels, we go to fancy parties. It, during our 
conference that is about improving educational opportunity for all people. And we felt as a division like we needed to try to give back to those communities while we were there. So we do choose a community organization and make a regular donation to that organization and feature them then at our business meeting. We also have um, established a number of different kinds of sessions that provide roles for community members. So we kind of change things up. It's not always simply researchers presenting to other researchers, although that's uh, absolutely important. But we also have sought the advice, the counsel, the wisdom of members of the community, whether teachers, school leaders, community organizers, community activists, um, and brought them into um, the AERA space. So I would say those are some of the things that make Division G unique and mm -hmm. that um, continue to support its, its power and um, its sense of agency and service to the organization. I think I'll pick up one point about this idea of trying to be more uh, engaged with local communities, uh, both ongoing but also when we're at a, the annual conference. I think it's an important step that we all need to take, and, and I, we just need to keep working at it. Because I don't think you could get do it too much. Right. So uh, moving toward that is our goal, and, and I think we've made some significant steps in that way and, and profiling, uh, in, in the best sense, what is going on within the community uh, in which we can learn from the community and take that back into our own scholarship to be engaged anew. So we've gathered here to plan for the annual meeting. It's going to be in D.C. It's the 100th AERA conference. What are some of the upcoming goals for Division G with the annual meeting? Well, certainly to continue to do the work of community engagement and community service. Um, in this case, with the theme being public scholarship to educate diverse democracies, we're really interested in thinking carefully with community members about how our scholarship can serve the public. What kind of research do communities need? What kind of research can we contribute? What kinds of methods will most help um, and push forward? an agenda for justice, um, for justice particularly um, in disenfranchised communities. Our goals include, or I guess I, I should say our, our steps to try to achieve those goals, um, include again partnering with a community organization, um, having some different kinds of uh, inv invited sessions that will really feature complexity of research methodology designed to advance a social justice agenda um, and really think about the work we do as intervening on context for the public good and also really selecting from um, all of the reviewed proposals a program that actually helps to push forward that agenda of rich public scholarship. Tangentially, um, and one thing that I think we always need to be mindful of is ultimately we're here because of that kid in a classroom in a kindergarten classroom in Bellingham or a kid in a classroom in Detroit or East LA or the Bronx or Santa Fe. It doesn't matter. I mean, we're here because we want to make improvements in schools and that's really, they're really the heartbeat, right, of, of the work that we're doing. And then as public scholars, in what ways can we 
help to educate not only the parents, but school board members, community members, our own colleagues, to help them really understand what research looks like. Oftentimes I have conversations with people who say, I, I had no idea that was happening in a school. So what can we do really to, to educate and bring that kind of information out publicly? And I think we really have a responsibility to make it accessible, uh, meaningful, applicable <laughs> to, to, to any human that we're, we're engaging with that has a, a stake in school, in school reform. So public scholarship to educate diverse democracies. I guess I would pose this question to you, Kevin. How do you make sense of the annual theme and you know, how can you relate that to your work or to help graduate students understand really what that theme might mean or its multiple interpretations? Thanks. I, I think that this is a, actually a difficult question, <laughs> um, but a good question and a good starting point, you know, the theme for us to, it's a good question if we have to think about it. Mm -hmm. It's a good theme if we have to think about what is, I, I think, if we have to think about how this applies to our work. So one way I'm thinking about it right now and I've thought about it before is, well, public scholarship, right? Um, let's flip that and think, most of us actually do private scholarship, right? So right. that is, I'm sitting in my cubicle, I'm sitting in my office writing this paper, and then I'll send it to be reviewed, and then it's in a journal and 50 people read it, right? Or 100 people read it. And what is the magnitude of the effect of that in reality? So it makes me think about, well, my scholarship for what, for whom, and who's actually being affected by it, right? Um, and, and I think it's a great question for, for us as uh, professors, but also graduate students as you're finishing up your dissertation or thinking about the topic of your dissertation. How will your work impact local communities um, and children? That's the bottom line. Um, and then to educate diverse democracies, um, just looking at the assumptions within that, right, that we start with this idea that we are a diverse nation, right? We are a diverse country. It's not a homogenous place. So we have to adjust our sites accordingly, right? We have to adjust our research to heighten that, to make awareness of that, but also to address it head on, right? How is our research um, addressing the needs of diverse communities? And finally, right, if we don't do that, right, if we're not engaged in published scholarship, if we're not thinking about the diverse uh, languages and ways of being and religions of the students that we're working with, then truly are we a democracy, right? The answer is no. These things interact with one another, they kind of overlap onto one another, map on. So we need to kind of think all of these with all of these things and let because then they fall apart otherwise. And so in that regard I'll just mention one of the things that we're working on for a presidential scholarship, my big no, who's the co-chair of the division of Division G for the program planning, is a presidential session around um, race discrimination in public schooling, public education in a time of civil unrest. So this is a pres presidential session at the AARA um, conference, and we're just thinking about you know what is the role of education during a time of heightened civil unrest within our nation's local communities and public schools. What are our students' experience with race and racialization within these current times of protest and heightened political and social debate? How can public schools and local community be sites in which education scholars may civically engage in the debates? So um, we're trying to take that uh, theme to reflect our division, Division G. Anyone else like to respond to, to Kevin or add on to the understanding of the annual theme? Sure, I'll, I'll um, just underscore some things that Kevin said and draw a bit on uh, Jeannie Oak's um, launch of the, of the theme. 
Um, she writes here, and this is posted on the AERA website, in AERA's centennial year, the annual meeting will celebrate and reinvigorate the progressive aspirations that gave rise to our professional community in 1916. Hope and determination that research can strengthen public education, society's most democratic institution. So one thing I would underscore about the, the notion of the public scholar is the piece of, it, of that that is about research, about using research as a tool for change. And so I think that the annual theme is really directing us to consider the ways we do our research and the communities who have access to our research, mm -hmm. how we communicate that research in more effective and powerful ways. So that's one piece that I think really needs to be underscored. And then there's this really interesting paragraph in the rest of her announcement. And I'm going to actually read it in full because I think it's so powerful and important. It says here, over the century, education researchers learned that education improvement is at least as much about public perceptions and politics as it is about science. Hmm. We have produced valuable knowledge about the normative and political dimensions of educating all in a diverse society, as well as about the technical and structural elements. The resulting research base is increasingly insightful and can help shape the public's knowledge and the political environment within which decisions about policy and practice are made, as well as help improve and sustain practice. But one clear lesson from the past century is that the research base itself needs advocates. It will not be used unless it is thoughtfully promoted. And I think that's a very important concern for us as education scholars, as public scholars, that our work, as, as Kevin said, it can't sit inside our individual offices. It can't be about journal, the number of journal articles we rack up. It has to be used out in the community it, to build these diverse democracies. Mm -hmm. And it may be that we're not, as a community, as a collective, we're not doing enough. Mm -hmm to help people understand the value of our work. And so that will be a very important, I think, piece of the theme that will guide the decisions we're making about the Division G program. SJ? Yeah, I was just going to add to that, too. I think that you know we have to live the policies that we are creating, right, that we are changing. So we have to be out there becoming part of the community in whatever ways that <clears throat> that we take up and that means you know maybe I'm, I'm working at a food bank maybe I'm working at a, a community center for youth but we can't just stay sol stayed in our, sol our solid um, silos we've got to make sure that we are effecting and affecting change and being part of whatever community resource we can so if I may jump back in you know one of the things that excites me about both the last comments is thinking about working on this committee with for Division G program planning and every year meeting uh, doctoral students such as Eric and Edianshu and Sakina and, and so on and thinking about how they're thinking of better ways or more uh, contemporary ways basically of getting that message out. So, you know, really there, I, I believe doctoral students, you're the ones who are going to be leading this That's right. um, in terms of new ways of communicating and, and, and helping us get that message out. You know, particularly being in Washington DC this year, we need to really think about how is our message being understood or how is our research 
being presented in a way that is digestible and that can make an impact. And, and I really believe younger scholars, doctoral students, they're doing that research uh, better, perhaps, than, than some of us who are currently professors. Building off that, Kevin, are there insights you all could share with the graduate students listening in on how to grapple with the idea of public scholarship you know, as we continue to build our research agenda, as we think about what we want to do once we're done with the doctoral program, what kind of insight or tips or recommendations do you have for the graduate students listening in about ways to be more of a public scholar and, and again, not be that private scholar? So it's a great question. So, uh, you know, one thing that I think about is as you're developing your line of research, developing your dissertation proposal, writing, choose something that you want to live with, that you're passionate about. That, that, that drives you, right? Um, something that you care so deeply about because of whatever that personal connection might be that, uh, that you're going to take this on for three to five years of your life at least. And so the reason why I say that, if we start with what is passionate for us, then that is kind of shown in our writing, right? It's hard for us to be dispassionate about something when we love it so within our personal lives. So I think that that's really important. Choose a topic that, that drives you and then that will be reflected in your writing, or that will be reflected in your presentations at AERA, or quite honestly, the work you do outside of AERA at the other conferences you go to. I think that's really important. And then finally, trying to think of how you can be engaged with the community as you do your research. So you're not doing research on a community, you're doing research with a community, that you're, you're, you're there and getting feedback. So it becomes a dialogue versus a lecture, right? I'm here to, 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 to study you. Well, I'm here to be here and I'm here to learn. And that kind of changes, I think, the ways in which you write, right? If you approach your research, doing your research in those ways. I appreciate everything that uh, Kevin just said. And as, as somebody that came through public school and was a high school teacher, um, as I was doing my research moving from my dissertation into an academic position, I was encouraged and mentored to publish widely. In other words, I, I was aware that there's a tenure promotion process and there's an H index and there's an impact factor and we are expected to publish in, in tier one journals. But for me, it was important that my scholarship was read by classroom teachers who didn't necessarily have the, um, not that they didn't have the knowledge to read, but the language is so framed in academic jargon that it became inaccessible to the people I really need to reach. Mm -hmm. So in, in my writing today, I make sure that I'm very, very mindful about where I publish and that even if it's the same study, I'm going to be sure that it's publishing in, in the English Journal or JAL or, you know, and then as well as publishing in, you know, Ed Researcher or um, Harvard Ed. Not that I have anything in Harvard Ed, but just to publish widely. And I would add to doctoral students, take time to learn, to learn how to do really, really high quality research with integrity. Hmm. So um, allow yourselves the time to step back and learn well and, and recognize that ultimately you will make a greater contribution if you have given yourself the time you need to think, to reflect, to digest, and then to act. And so 
there's this tension between the private and public scholar. There's a tension between um, taking on a lot as a young scholar or you know, trying to crank out articles so one can get promoted, right? And those tensions are real. Mm-hmm. And I, I think maybe, maybe it's good for graduate students, emerging scholars, to hear that it's okay, it is okay to still do some things for yourself that will ultimately contribute to advancing diverse democracies. In other words, I'm not saying do things for yourself so that you can get more money or you know promoted or um, accolades, but do those things that will help you be a better public scholar. And if it requires some time for reflection, some time to protect yourself, mm-hmm. um, not to say yes to every request you get, not to feel like you have to be part of every community on campus or every division or every SIG in the organization, but in fact to really focus and feel mm-hmm. that you're actually improving your skills and your, um, and your passions. So the idea of passion and joy is really critical. And sometimes if we try to do too much, it can be really hard to feel joyful and to feel passionate. Because speaking from my own experience, I become um, exhausted and I become discouraged Mm -hmm. because I feel like I'm not doing enough anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I would say for emerging scholars, find some spaces where you can be actively engaged but also find some spaces Mm -hmm. where you can do your work and do it with integrity. And and I do want to jump in thinking about Elizabeth and SJ made me think about practicing self-care. Yes. Right? Right. So the type of work most people are doing out there and, you know, in our division, it's fairly, it is intensive. You get involved in the lives of Mm -hmm. students uh, and their communities or the families. Uh, the issues are so large and so problematic that you you get you internalize those yes. things and it's human to do that but at the same time if you internalize it to the degree to which you can't function um, or write or even get out of bed you know and I, you know I, it's true that happens um, or you start your health starts to deteriorate you're not serving anybody well let alone the communities let alone yourself so I think Elizabeth's point makes me really think about how do we advocate how do we practice self-care? How do we do the things we love outside of our research in addition to our research just to be well-rounded and to be whole? So I think it's really important. And I, and I say this just with seeing people get torn up by the system, whether it be doctoral students in the final throes of their dissertation, whether it be assistant professors, just kind of torn up by it. Just have to help yourself too. And I'll jump in and add one more um, piece to that, and that is self-care and also family care, which of course is part of self-care. That, you know, we all have families, all different kinds of families. Uh, We have children, we have siblings, we have parents. And you never want to get to the point where you have no space in your life to care for those people when they need you. That, Mm. That is a really, really chilling moment when you realize I don't have time for anyone in my life to get sick, um, you know, to need to take a break from something. Um, you, you just don't want to be there. So 
I think as much as I want to encourage our graduate students to be you know, active in the division, I want them to engage in self and other care mm-hmm. that's part of self-care um, and to recognize that families really, really matter. I'm going to move to the last question. Sure. These last two days, everyone's been working hard towards getting ready for the annual meeting. What can graduate students look forward to both in Washington, D.C. and at the 100th annual meeting of AERA? Is there a little bit of an inside scoop you could give to our (laughs) listeners uh, here at the planning meeting in Detroit? Well, a few things that can tell you about that I know will be happening, both within and without um, Division G, would be prior to the conference, we will be hosting uh, pre-conference mentoring for both graduate students and early career faculty, and Kevin maybe will say a bit more about that in a minute. Um, Simultaneous with that will be um, a special session hosted by the John Dewey Society. I don't know the details of registering for that, but it will be an all-day pre-conference conference, conference, uh, and I believe it's open registration, so I would encourage um, our graduate students to consider coming a day early and uh, you know attending some of those sessions will be um, we've been invited as a division to put together a symposium for that um, Dewey uh, conference and then there will be just you know a vast number of centennial events I don't know the details of those yet uh, SJ and I will be going to the coordinated committee meeting uh, next month, and we probably will get a bit more detail about the sort of architecture of the conference, so we'll know more about special events that are being planned. But I think that uh, our members uh, can really expect uh, a big celebration. I think it will be very exciting. Really interesting speakers, um, you know, both across the organization and within Division G. We're very excited about our special sessions. Um, more interactive sessions and sessions focused on really trying to figure out how to advance um, public scholarship, how to how to speak with policymakers, with community members more clearly and effectively. And right, right now, we're as 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 you mentioned earlier, Eric, we're looking at um, we're re- looking at the reviews of the proposals that have been sent in, both individual paper and symposium. And you know, one thing to look forward to would be you know an incredible research uh, being presented by our peers within Division G uh, within the individual sessions. Um, and and uh, Elizabeth mentioned it a little bit earlier, but uh, we have pre-conference seminars for early career faculty members and also for uh, graduate students, doctoral students. And last year for the doctoral student seminar, an exciting, uh, provocative, uh, really helpful and supportive environment for, um, for doctoral students. So be on the lookout for that great work being presented by the doctoral students. Those announcements will be made through Facebook and email, etc. So we're excited about those special events. Yeah, and I want to piggyback back to the John Dewey um, because it does say that space is limited. Um, it's going to be April 7th and 8th, and all you have to do is email the word reserve um, to Kyle Greenwalt, and his email is greenwlt at msu.edu. Um, you can also find this on the johndeweysociety.org website. 
So we've had an amazing conversation with leaders in Division G discussing public scholarship and especially the intentionality and the impact of our research. I want to thank our invited scholars for participating in this podcast and also all of you listening. For more information and links on Dr. Moji, Dr. Roxas, and Dr. S.J. Miller's work, you can find it on the AERA Division G blog. To participate in an extended conversation on these pertinent topics, please follow us on Twitter at AERA DivG and use the hashtag DivGChat. We hope that you listen in to the next podcast.